here once again. Um, back in, when my, my children were, were pretty young, the school that they went to in Somerset had a, um, a Christmas store. Do your schools around here have a Christmas store? Okay, they do. Um, and, and the children could take money to school and buy something there for their parents or their family, their siblings. It wasn't an expensive item, it was just something they could do. And I remember one year, uh, my oldest son um, was in elementary school and he went to the Christmas store. Anyways, it, it was Christmas morning and he handed me a present, he was excited about it, and I, and I opened it up and it was a, one of these uh, license plate vanity plates that you could put on the front of your, your, your bumper. And it said, Pennsylvania Deer Hunter. Now, the amusing thing about that was, is I haven't hunted since I was 16. I, I have no guns in the house. I don't have any hunting gear. Uh, I never talk about hunting. I've never said the word hunting. Um, and he comes home with this present. Now, he was quite eager to give it to me, and, and that alone was a, a Christmas present uh, to hand me this Pennsylvania deer hunting uh, plate for my vehicle, which I didn't put on. But, um, you know, it, it reminds me that if you want to give a gift to someone, you want to know what they highly prize. You, what do they value? If you find that out, you've got the first, pro first problem solved. This person values something. You give them a gift along those lines. Now, this is not just for Christmas shopping. It's for relationships. When you, when you find out that someone values something and you want to please that person, then you, you meet that somehow, whether it's giving them something or meeting some sort of requirement that you know will please them. And, and when, we, when we do that, then that person is pleased. Well, in today's gospel text, um, we have, I believe, a recipe for what God values, for what he highly prizes. Now, for those of you here today who are interested in pleasing God, and I hope that's all of you, you might want to sit up and listen. I'm going to pay attention because if you can find out what pleases God, if you can find out what God values and you want to please God, then all you have to do is meet that requirement and God will be pleased with you. It can't beat that. So this morning as we take a look at the gospel of uh, Mark, the gospel according to Mark, the first chapter, I hope to find out what God values. But let's first one, once more pause and go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God, we do thank you once again for this time with you. Lord, we pray that as we meditate upon your word here today, as we think about it, that your presence will be experienced, that you, God, would visit us in the quiet places of our heart. Teach us, show us, convict us, mold us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name that we pray, amen. Now this is the second Sunday of Advent, so as we're turning towards Christmas, the word Advent, by the way, uh, means uh, an ex expected arrival of something, usually a dignitary or something special. And as we talk about Advent, it's the celebration of Christ's first coming. There is a second Advent, his second coming, but this is a looking backwards towards his first coming. So as we Get ready for Christmas. We typically read the Christmas story from two sources in the New Testament there, Matthew and Luke. Matthew and Luke give us almost everything we know about Christmas, those two Gospels. John kind of talks about it, but 
more in a, in a spiritual manner. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's John's version of the Christmas story. Mark, on the other hand, doesn't have anything. And so it seems almost strange here today that as we have the second Sunday at Advent, as we're looking towards Christmas, we have a reading today from Mark who gives us virtually nothing about Christmas. But he does tell us about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is often associated with our Christmas story because Matthew and Luke, who do give us Christmas, do talk about John. In fact, all the Gospels talk about John. Luke tells us about John's birth and how it came about and gives us the story from that. And so it is in some way linked to Christmas, it seems, the story of John. He came before Jesus to prepare them for Jesus. So our reading today is from Mark, who really gives us nothing about Christmas, but he does give us something about John. Now, as I was reading over this text in preparation, there was a couple of things that kind of jumped off at, at, at me as I was reading over it. Things that I had seen a million times and yet never really contemplated in this particular way. And I wanted to share those two things with you here today. We read in Mark's gospel that Mark was this voice of one crying out. Now, that's a quote from Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3. That God was sending someone a voice to cry out in the wilderness. And that's the word first that gave me pause. The wilderness. The Greek word there means desolate or uninhabited, remote, barren, somewhere out back. And that's kind of odd. If you just think about this with me for a moment. God is coming. God, the great God, the creator of all the universe, the one who holds the planets in motion, the one who breathes life into our bodies, he is coming to take on flesh and be like us. He's coming so that we can meet our God. And he's going to send someone ahead of him to herald the way, to cry out that he's coming. And where does he go? The wilderness. That just kind of odd. Let's just say, for example... King Charles III, the, the current monarch in England, he has decided he's coming to Myersdale. He's made a decision. He's checked his count. He's always heard about the Maple Festival. He wants to come. He wants to participate in it. And so he's coming to Myersdale. Now, work with me on this one. He's coming to Myersdale. So it's a last-minute decision. So he decides he's going to send someone ahead of him, a crier, someone to get everyone in Myersdale ready. And that's good for us. We would want to know that. We want to pick up the litter in the park and just clean up the streets a little bit and tow some junk vehicles off the side, you know, things. Just, just tidy up a bit because the king is coming. So this crier comes here a little before the king Charles does. And let's say he arrives in Myersdale in his car and he drives up to Mount Davis, parks near the fire tower, and there's some rocks up there and he sits on one of those rocks and he starts announcing King Charles is coming. King Charles is coming, you know, he's, he's going to be here soon. Well, kind of strange. I mean, why go there? Oh, well, I go to Mount David, a great place, by the way. Most of you have probably been to the fire, fire tower. I mean, yeah, but why would you announce it there? Just a strange place to go. Oh, a few people every day will go to Mount Davis, probably, and they run into this guy sitting there on the rock saying King Charles is coming, and they would get the message, but I mean, I'm 
mean, seriously, why would you go to there? If, you're gonna, if he's coming to Myersdale, one would think that his crier would go to the post office. Now, or Sheets. I mean, that's, that's the happening place. Go to Sheets in Myersdale and tell everyone that King Charles is coming. Now you have everybody's attention. You wouldn't go to Mount, you wouldn't go to Mount Davis. I mean, it's just, it's just odd. And so for the same reason, I think it's really odd that when God is sending his messenger, when God is sending his messenger to, to us, to tell us that he himself is coming, he goes out to the wilderness, out to the desert, out to the woods, the mountains or something like that. Maybe a place you'd camp for a weekend, but you're not going to stay there. And that's where this guy shows up, way out there. I just find that peculiar. And John goes out in the wilderness and he begins to preach. Now, evidently, John's a good preacher. He's really good, I assume, because the people, they flock out there to see him and hear him. He's that good. They make the trip to see him. You know, there are some preachers who are like that. There's some preachers I've heard just memorize, mesmerizing to me. I mean, they're just, just, they're talking to me. You ever heard a preacher like that? You tune into somebody and, man, they're just, they're just talking to me. They're just speaking. I can hear them. I, can, I get it. And they're just speaking to me. I've, I've heard many like that. One of my favorites over the years is Pastor Chuck Swindoll. I used to hear him on the radio. I don't know if he's still on or not. Really enjoyed listening to him. There were times I'd be driving, listening to him preach on the radio. And I'd think, wow, it's just him and me. He just, he's just talking to me now. I get it. And, and, and it just, I think that's the Spirit of God. And I think John the Baptist, I know, had the Spirit of God. And so he was a good preacher, and so the people did make the trip out there. It's just, it's just an odd place. Why not go to Jerusalem, the epicenter of religion in, in first, day, first century Palestine? All the religious people from all over, they're going to be in Jerusalem. Why not go there? That's where the temple is. That's where everybody who is anybody in that, in that era, in that day, would be at Jerusalem. But instead, he's out in the wilderness. There's a couple of other odd things about this, and that is his clothing. We just read it. He wore a tunic of camel, made of camel's hair. Now, Bible scholars would tell us that camel's hair is, is, was made into clothing. Camels, they could take it and they could make it into clothing. It was sort of a poor man's clothing. It was coarse. It wasn't very comfortable to wear. But if you didn't have a lot of money and you needed something to wear, which most people do, you could get camel's hair. So he would wear camel's hair clothing out in the wilderness. Again, kind of odd. Let's go back to our illustration of, of the king's crier coming to Myersdale. He's sitting up at Mount Davis on a rock announcing that the king is coming and he's wearing jeans from Walmart and a ugly Christmas sweater that he picked up at Goodwill. Okay, sitting there on the rock, announcing that the king is coming. Well, now you're really unimpressed with this guy. I mean, come on. I don't even know if you're from England. You've got that kooky accent. I mean, but I, I don't, this doesn't even make sense. Why would you do this? I mean, if the king is going to send somebody, wear some nice clothing. You know, look the part, right? John doesn't even look the part. Poor man's clothing. Sitting out in the wilderness, preaching that God is coming. I would imagine there was probably some people who are wondering to themselves, is this guy really for God? I mean, if God is coming, wouldn't he be coming to Jerusalem? Wouldn't he be wearing something decent? Why is he like that? 
And then there's that third characteristic that we read, and that is he ate locust and wild honey. I imagine he ate other things at times, but, but the, all the gospel writers, what Matthew, Mark, and Luke, point out that this was part of his diet. Probably when the collection plate was passed around and it was a little thin that week, he could always eat off the land locusts and wild honey. I, don't, I was wondering how much wild honey would take to make locusts taste good. I, I, don't, I don't know, but I would think a good bit. And that's what he ate. That's kind of odd. I mean, that just strikes me as really kind of odd. You would think he'd be dining at the finest restaurants in Jerusalem, wearing the best clothing, those kinds of things. But instead, he's wearing a poor man's clothing, eating poor man's food, I guess, out in the woods. You know, uh, one of my, my full-time job, I worked for an insurance company, and this past year I got to meet someone through business, and it was a woman, and she explained to me that a few years ago, um, Louis Vuitton's new purse or handbag was coming out. And she and her daughter flew to Paris to buy a $30,000 handbag. Now, I don't know if there's any Louis Vuittons in here today, if you brought your Louis Vuittons with you. Um, there's a world outside of Somerset County that, man, we don't know anything about, it seems like, you know? That's just, that's just crazy. But that's how some people live, and that's what some people value, you know? That's what some, I suppose you have it. But, you know, all of this about John the Baptist it kind of tells me, I think, something about God and what he values. And I'm going to tell you, I'm really attracted to a God like that. That he would go out to Mount Davis, sit on a rock in Campbell's hair, eating locusts and wild honey, telling us that he's coming. There's just something about that. It's appealing to me. And I, I think what, what's appealing to me is, is the fact that this high and mighty and awesome God, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God, would choose that kind of vehicle to tell us about himself. And the reason why, I think, and I, don't, I always steer away from the why questions, because they're the hardest ones to answer. Now, I don't know all why, I'm just guessing here. But I think one of the reasons why God comes to us like that is because he's trying to identify with a certain people. People probably a lot like us. We're not affluent. We don't consider ourselves wealthy. We're not powerful. We're just getting by. And I think God wants to identify with that type. Even more than that, I think God is looking for the brokenhearted. Those who are down and out, those who are not only marginalized, but those who are being crushed by the weight of this life. And that is who he's drawn to. Remember Jesus' first sermon in his hometown, Nazareth. He goes back in Luke chapter 4. He reads from Isaiah and he said that he had come to preach the gospel to the poor. Give sight to the blind and set the captive free. His goal, his, his motive, the people that he was trying to reach were those blind, those poor, and those who were captive. I just love that. I mean, seriously, I just love the fact that God wants to identify with the common. 
Now that doesn't mean that God doesn't care about the affluent or the wealthy or the rich or the powerful. I think he cares very deeply for them. I think what it does tell me though is those people in that first class, those who are being pushed under by life's weight and struggling, are the people whose hearts are in one sense already made open for God. As most of you know, I, I, I lead Bible studies every week at the county jail. And I sit there with men and sometimes women, and I meet them at a point in their lives where their lives have become a train wreck. And in a sense, in a, in a strange sense, they're at a really good place because they recognize how bad things have gotten. And oftentimes their hearts have never been more right for the presence and the coming of God. And I just love the fact that John the Baptist is out there in the woods eating his locusts and wild honey, wearing his camel hair tunic, telling us that God is coming. He's looking for a certain type of people that he himself, I believe, identifies with. And that, that, that's the kind of God I want to meet. I just, I don't know, I'm very attracted to that kind of being who identifies himself like that. But there's something else from this Mark's gospel that I think is really worth underscoring as well that Mark tells us. John was out in the wilderness. He's preaching a baptism of repentance. And the people came to him. He actually said, all Judea. Bit of a hyperbole, I'm sure. But everybody, it seems, was coming out to be baptized confessing their sins. And I don't want to miss this point because it can be easily missed and I think in a lot of churches today we do miss it and sometimes even on purpose. You might think, okay, you've described who I am. I'm powerless, I'm weak, I'm broken, I'm dysfunctional, I'm ripe for the presence and power of God, but what's the next step? Well, there is another step, and John preached about it. It's repentance. Because without that step, the weak and the broken, the powerless, are really no closer to God than when they began. And actually, that actually applies also to the rich and affluent as well. It's just that their hearts might not be quite open yet for the presence of God. But this is like a bridge that we have to cross. Without that, then we're just poor and lost and uh, unaffluent, or not, uh, has no affluence at all for no reason because we haven't been changed by the presence of power of God. And the only reason to do that is to repent. The Greek word there is metanoia, meta, uh, where we get like metamorphosis, to be changed and, and, to, and to change one's mind, actually what it means to change one's mind about oneself. And this is the part that does make us a little bit uncomfortable. See, we like the first part. We like the fact that God, God identifies with me. He identifies with the fact that I'm messed up and that I, I have some problems in my life. We, we get that and we like that. But then there's this bridge that we have to cross in which we have to change something about ourselves. We have to change our minds. John called it repentance. To admit, not just that I'm maybe dysfunctional, but I have a sin problem. There's something inside of me that gravitates towards that, gravitates towards selfishness, 
toward self-centeredness. And it's in all of us. But we don't like to admit that because it doesn't feel comfortable doing that. But honestly, it's the only way we can get into the presence of God is to first admit my own sin and my own sinfulness, that I am a sinner. That given my choice about things, I may not always choose good. I might choose bad. That we have a problem with sin. And that's, that's the big part. That's the really big part. That's the step that we have to take. If we don't take that step, that changing of one's mind, of, of thinking of ourselves differently, we can't bridge this gap, as it were, and meet our God. Yes, our hearts have been made right by the fact that he wants to identify with us. But there's also this idea of repenting. Saying, God, I'm a sinner. Some of the things that I do, God, are not good. Some of the thoughts that I entertain entertain are, are not pleasing to you. God, I go that direction more often than people around me know that I go. And that's who I am. And I'm sorry. And I want to change. This past week in jail, I was sitting um, across from a table from a young man who's 29 years old. He said he's been doing drugs since he was 16. And he described how, how many people, how many people he's just wrecked with his, with his addiction issues. And he, and he talked about how he wants to change. And he said, but how? How can I change? And I told him, you know, you've actually come to the first spot, and that is recognizing the need to change. Because some don't do that. So some never see the need to change. Some came out to see John the Baptist preaching, and they didn't get baptized. I'm good enough. I don't need that. But this young man recognized in this place called jail, with his hands cuffed across the table from me, Recognize that he needs to change. It's got to be different. And the second thing I told him is, this change isn't going to come from within you. Because you can't do this yourself. If you could, you'd have done it by now. You can't fix this problem. And none of us can fix this problem of sin. It might be more evident in this young man's life who's been wrecked by drugs all of his life. But we have the same issue and we can't fix ourselves. None of us here can rectify this problem. The only one who can is God. And the only way is to admit to him that that's who we are. And accept his spirit. Accept him to begin to make that change for us. So John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness and baptizing a baptism of repentance and the people came out and confessed their sins. It's a great way to get ready for Christmas. It's a great way to get ready for the presence and the power of God. It's also the only way. There's no other way. And without that, we can never cross the gap and we'll never fully get to appreciate the power and presence of God unless we admit 
that we too are sinners and that we can't change ourselves and that only He can. As we pray here today, I would invite you to take that step with me by faith and just call out to God. Admit to Him you're powerless. Admit to Him you can't change yourself and invite Him to make that change inside of you. We you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and your presence. And Father God, we, we have messed up lives and we know that. And there's a lot of hurt here. But it's not just that that brings us to you, Lord. It's the fact that we have sin in our lives. And we don't always do well. And we can't change ourselves, God. Lord, I just pray for anyone, even now, who's inviting you to begin that change in their lives, that you would fill them with your presence and your power, with your Holy Spirit, Lord, enabling them to walk as Jesus walked. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.